0: Welcome to the All About Alts podcast, where we explore the world of alternative investing to help you find financial independence. Join our host, NewView Trust's president, Jason DeBono, as he covers a variety of topics with different guest speakers to discuss tax and alternative investing strategies. It is never too late to start taking control of your financial future, and we are so excited for you to be joining us for this opportunity to hear from some of the best in the business. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the All About Alts podcast. My name is Jason DeBono. I am your host today, uh, and I am joined by an old friend, Ryan Smith of Elevation Capital Group. Ryan, how are you, man?
1: Doing well. Good to see you.
0: Yeah, good. Uh, good to have you. Uh, we're gonna cover a variety of things. We'll take a trip down memory lane uh, for a little bit here, if that's okay. Yeah. And uh, and then we'll dig in uh, and and talk a lot more. Uh, about what it is that you do and and why we wanted to bring you on and give our listeners an opportunity to hear your expertise uh, and and really get a feel for maybe what we're seeing in the marketplace today and and what what we're looking at uh, as we continue to go forward. So uh, let's just dig right in and and like sure. I said, we're going to go straight down memory lane. Um, so you know, I uh, Ryan and I were chatting. We couldn't pinpoint the exact uh, date or time, uh, and I think that's just a sign of getting older. Uh, stuff starts to. <laughs> I think we got it within a five-year window, but uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going on 18 years in, in the alternative asset space on the custodial side. And Ryan's got uh, a smidge more uh, years in, in the investment world. And um, But we met 2006, 2007. Is that yeah. fair? I think you guys think were right in the process of launching your first fund and starting to raise some capital.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. It's been a long time
0: yeah, so I met uh, ryan and and you're one of the unique people that hasn't just been successful in business because that's its own challenge. Um, but somehow, Ryan, you've managed to do it with your spouse, uh, which is also incredibly uh, uh, cool to hear. So uh, Ryan and Jamie, so yeah, tell me a little bit about that and and how that's been going and and how you've managed to not just find success as a real estate investor uh, and helping your clients make money, but also, uh you know bringing your wife in and and keeping that business running with uh alongside each other
1: yeah you bet well i mean for for Jamie and i you know i we started this company together back in you know 2002 i think 2002 2003 and when i say we started we just started by deploying our own capital so we started taking in kind of investor capital i think around 2007 uh which is when we First connected, and so Jamie and I. When I met Jamie, um, I had a, for whatever reason, I wanted to build something with my, with my spouse, and so Jamie's incredibly talented. I was going to get a degree in law from UCF, and I talked her out of it and talked her into joining me, and and she uh, trusted me in that, and um, and it's been great. And I and I'll just kind of her office is actually right down the hall here, but um, I would just kind of summarize it by saying, you know. You know, I, I love Jamie. Um, I think the world of her, and so not only do I get to see her when I get home, you know, I also get to see her when I'm away from home. So, I I think it's it's not for everyone. I think um, you know certainly there are challenges uh, when you leave the office. You take you know when your when your spouse is your um, you know co co works in the business with you, you. You really don't get a break when you go home. So there's pros and cons, but. Um, but I, I love Jamie, and I think uh, she's tremendously talented. So I, I get to see her talents uh, kind of uh, inside the confines of the business and at home. So it's, it's been great for us.
0: Well, that's really cool. And, and most businesses uh, would love to have success both internally and externally to that same degree. So uh, the fact that, that you're, uh, you're here talking about it uh, says a lot about you and, and certainly a lot about Jamie. Um, now I, I think it's okay. I did ask for, is anything off limits? And you said, no, um, <laughs> but, uh, Ryan had lunch, uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and he shared what I still can't get out of my mind about the ages of their kids. Um, <laughs> they, they have four kids. Um, and this is almost like a stat that, that you have to preface because people are going to pause and, and question, but all four kids are born exactly two years apart within one week of each other. is did I, did I get that right, Ryan? You're right.
1: It tells you a lot about my wife. Yeah, yeah you're, you're exactly right. Um, August is a busy month for us.
0: <laughs> well, he when he told me that, I said, Ryan, I hope that's all you tell your investors, because if you can be that pinpointed on a spreadsheet uh, and accurate into the week uh, on something that has a, a, a nine month lag period, uh, then, man, I just think it's awesome to see what you can do in the co- commercial real estate investing world.
1: Oh, uh, that's that goes. That's my wife gets all that credit, and all I do is what I'm told. So, yeah, uh, it, it worked out.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so you know, Ryan and and Jamie really have been uh, been great to to kind of see grow over the years, and and watch them uh, not just flourish on the business side, but but also uh, on the family side, and and uh, growing and raising their family as well. So good uh, good good to kind of catch up a little bit there yeah. um, you know let, let's shift gears a little bit obviously our listeners are, are really interested in two things typically um, they're they're interested in in how to efficiently invest uh, and so that gets into the asset classes the due diligence the how and why uh, mm-hmm. and then we also like to make sure that we're covering both the efficiency piece from a tax perspective right how do we manage the tax liabilities to make these investments more worthwhile so Let's talk a little bit. You know, we, we started talking about 2007 and we'll just round to 15 years if that's okay. Yeah. What's different? You know, let's talk a little bit about your philosophy strategy. You know, are you investing the same way that you invested 15 years ago? Are you buying different asset classes? Let's talk a little bit about maybe where you started and, and kind of yeah. what was important to
1: you and then uh, work our way into more present time. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, and I'll, I'll bridge, um, from the standpoint of, so our focus is solely mobile home parks and self storage facilities. Those are really the only two asset classes we own. Um, we're long-term owners. Um, there's lessons we've certainly learned in 15 years, I would say as a kind of, as a summation, the quality, the quality of the assets we own today are, are much higher the size is much bigger and the location um, and the real estate at large is is much more irreplaceable so in general we we want today we want to own really well located quality assets we want to use low debt um, and we want to hold for the long run As we think if you own something that's really well located um irreplaceable real estate um a product type that's high demand then the reason you lose assets over time is debt that's at the forefront of everybody's mind today. Um, sure. um, and so we've always been, uh, for the most part, you know, moderate users of, of debt being around 50% at, at acquisition, which is pretty low. Um, in the last couple of years, it's made us unpopular uh, because we haven't been willing to take the risk others are willing to take. And, um, you know, we don't care about the popularity contest today. I think we're more popular than, you know, three years ago um on on that basis so anyway um yeah those are some of the lessons we've a, a little bit just to kind of to bridge um just higher quality more major metros low leverage long term
0: okay and and on that you know to summarize going back from an asset class so really your investment philosophy around the asset classes hasn't changed in 15 plus years um, but you're more dialed in around the types of assets you'll buy today uh, in those same asset classes than you would have 15 years ago. Is that a fair summarization?
1: Yeah, you're exactly right, and and it's it's actually just I guess a brief story on that um, short short version. But you know, Jamie and I, when we started the business I described earlier, we started buying single family houses, and we bought you know, I think it, off of memory, it was like 25 single family houses in our early 20s. And we found it wasn't as scalable as we had hoped at that point in our, in our lives. And so we, we spent a long weekend and we, we researched every asset class that we could think of um, to determine what the, the new path forward would be for us. And we were looking for four things specifically. And those four things were income, you know, cash flow. We wanted capital appreciation. We wanted our dollar to one day be two or three. Um, we wanted tax efficiency, and we wanted non-correlation or low beta. And in basically, we you know we we wanted off the the volatile roller coaster to the extent that we could achieve that. Um, and so that, interestingly enough, over a long weekend, we kind of worked on um, building out models for every asset class. The two that had the most merit were storage and mobile home parks. Um, and that was back. I want to say that was back in 2003. So to your point, you know that that has been on our radar since 2003, and really that's been the only thing we've done since then. And and I, I still feel as much conviction today around those two asset classes looking forward as I did then, just more knowledgeable.
0: It's a pretty powerful long weekend. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was. If it, it was. it's still carrying true today, and and uh, I actually wrote down those four things and. Um, I, I love what you said about, you know, looking at it pragmatically, right? And then taking that idea and looking at it from an asset class standpoint. And I think that's a good lesson for those listening today is that, you know, not every asset class meets the criteria for you and whatever your criteria is. And if you don't, then, then I would take the Ryan and Jamie long weekend approach and really sit down and say, hey, what do we want? Um, I meet a lot of investors that say, I don't want income. I don't care about income i want to get in and i want to get out and i don't want to make a penny of income and there's nothing wrong with that either but knowing the answer to that question is critical Mm -hmm. um what i what i also love too is you know um we we hear self storage, and and i've been doing this uh since 2005 and you know the buzz around self-storage and mobile home communities in the last five years you know has been unreal but really, 20 years ago, I mean, you guys were into these assets before they were cool, right? right. I mean, that's unbelievable uh, to think that 20 years ago, you guys probably had your pick of the litter uh, on a lot of these asset classes, where today competition competition has certainly come a lot more fierce. I would imagine.
1: Yeah, you're you're, you're exactly right. I mean, nowadays you have to lock the door from the inside to keep people from coming in because there's no room. Back in the when we first started, we had to lock the door from the outside to keep people from running away when we said mobile home park so it's a uh, it's complete it was it was the epitome of not cool when we started and it's it's become cool um, very trendy as all the institutions have gotten in the space and it'll cycle I mean things always do but uh, but it's certainly more in vogue both asset classes today as compared to when we got in
0: yeah well and and I love you know for for those on uh, on the call whether you're joining us uh, through one of the the major um, podcast channels or whether you're watching us online or, or in, a, in any other capacity, you know, take really good note of what changed over the last 20 years. And and we've gone through cycles. I mean, you know, multiple cycles, right? We've been through uh, not just the, the Great Recession, uh, which 2007 to you know whatever date is defined as the ending of that 10 11 12, uh, we saw kind of a very flat market uh, where things weren't receding, and then we saw some booms and then some busts. Right? I mean, we saw COVID, uh, which has changed that, and and now we're entering into to a high interest rate environment, which we haven't seen in in some time. So, the the thing that I think is is so incredible to to really pay close attention here is that your investment philosophy still hasn't changed. You have four core things you want. Those four things are still delivered to you through self-storage and through mobile home communities. But the way and the strategy and the geographics in which you buy them has changed. Um, talk to me and and the audience a little bit about that because I, I feel like that's a really rare thing to hear. Most people would say, well, I bought this in 20. Uh, seven, you know, when the market was was X and I bought these assets in 2010 when the market was Y and I bought these in 2015 when it was Z and I shifted gears again in, during COVID, right, during this. And so you've been able to keep things going in a very straight linear line. Like walk, walk me through and walk our audience through um, how you stay disciplined and focused and, and manage to to look at this differently than I would say 95% of the investment marketplace out there.
1: Yeah, no, I, I it's, you know, I would say in short, just to, I guess, to condense and make it succinct, you know, and this is overly simplified, but not far from it, but, you know, we want to own good things. We want to sell bad things. You know, I talk to a lot of people who tell me, you know, I just, yeah, I bought this and I just sold it. And I'll ask them what was wrong with it. And they'll say, oh, nothing was wrong with it. And then I'll say, well, why did you sell it? And you you can see where I, you know, it's a funny juxtaposition because they quickly run out of answers for why they did what they did. Ultimately, what it comes down to is, well, you know, the price I could you know, sell it for was 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 great. But there, the, the point is, there's many other ways to monetize the deal without getting rid of it. Um, you know, so I, I'm just a big fan of holding things long term. Um, you know, I, I think the economy life will give anybody 10 reasons over a decade to hit a board to sell to sell or to exit but generally speaking you meet the people who've owned something you know long term 20 30 40 years and you know they had the same opportunities to abort or to sell for good or bad reasons and they chose not to Um, and you know we all want to be those people so you know for us you know we try to create liquidity as we can over time but we we can do that in ways that doesn't that do not involve selling away the asset Uh, because ultimately we want to have a, a growing basket of things that are getting better and better over time. Um, and to the extent that there's an asset in the bunch that, you know, the market changed in a way we didn't anticipate, or there was some material defect in the asset that, again, couldn't have been anticipated, then yeah, we'll sell it to pair the risk. But we want to keep good things and get rid of bad things. Um, and and you know, I I think that makes sense. And so until it doesn't, that's what we'll be doing. <laughs>
0: Well, I uh, I like that. Maybe uh, uh, we'll have to talk to Maggie, the producer, about. Uh, I think we may have nailed the title of the show. Um, you know, sell uh, sell what makes sense uh, and keep what makes sense. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Well, cool. Well, let let's do this. Um, let's pause there. We've talked a little bit about kind of where we've been. Um, let's we're going to uh, continue on this dialogue after our quirky questions of the day. So be be uh, prepared, Ryan. You're in for a treat there. Uh, and then we'll pick back up and talk a little bit about current events, what are we seeing. Uh, and, and I know those things are weighing heavy on every investor's mind, whether they're on the buy side or whether we're passive investors. Uh, so we'll we'll get to that. But uh, Maggie, if you've got the envelopes, we're going to dig right in here. It's quirky question of the daytime. So I'm going with the envelope right on the top today, Ryan. Sweet. So. I hope you're ready. What's in here uh, is unbeknownst to me either. Uh, remember, if you do have a quirky question uh, that you want us to ask our uh, guests, uh, be sure to email that to Maggie. Uh, that's Maggie with a Y at newviewtrust.com. So, oh, I like this one already. All right, you ready, Ryan? Three questions. Number one If you had to work at an amusement park or a famous landmark for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Now, I should miss this for the audience that Ryan is also here in Central Florida. So this one rings really close to home for us.
1: Yeah, I would say Ripley's Believe It
0: or Not. (laughs) You know, I I don't know if I can ask a follow-on question, but uh, (laughs) I guess I can delete it out if I'm not to. But curiosity's got me. I got to know the why behind that, Ryan. (laughs) Well,
1: yeah, I had no pre-planning in the question. I was just thinking, what a great, because I'm six foot eight and I'm a big guy. What a great opportunity to pose as a statue you know, occasionally and just catch people off guard. That would be fun. All right. But, yeah. I, uh, I like it. <laughs> All right. Question number two.
0: What's the best inside joke you've ever been a part of?
1: Oh, gosh, that's a good one. Um, golly, you know. there's I, That's a good one. Nothing comes to mind. I, I really, nothing comes to mind.
0: All right, I'll I will I will give you uh, I'll I'll answer this because I I've got one that comes to mind for me okay. and I'll I'll step in. This is uh, I think we call this phoning a friend uh, <laughs> uh, along the way. So um, there there is uh, it's an old office joke. It's tied back to someone that was here uh, and there was a laugh from someone uh, that was you know a couple parties removed that they someone brought into the office. And uh, that laugh has lasted a good 15 years. Uh, to this day, if someone makes the fake laugh that, that resembles the real laugh, uh, everybody just kind of chuckles, but nobody has actually defined whose laugh it is that we're chuckling at. So uh, that's, th- that's one for, uh, I don't know if I sparked any new ideas, Ryan, but uh, certainly uh, happy to step in on that one
1: no that's uh, that's ironically there's a guy's a, a men's ski trip I put together every year and there's a guy on it that has a the laugh it may be the same guy I don't know but, <laughs> but yeah that's that's funny um, but no we'll we'll go with that one that's a good one
0: all right well let's move on last question number three what is something that
1: you hate but wish you loved ooh gosh um say skydiving
0: Okay, so you hate it. That, does that mean you hate it from experience, or you hate it from
1: afar? I hate it from afar, but part of there's a there's a certain percentage of me. I was talking about that this last week. That there's a there's a small part of me that wished I liked it, but I don't. I'm, I'll never skydive, but yeah, you know, it'd be cool if I if I did.
0: Well, I I, uh, I couldn't agree with that one more. I I've, I've seen it, I've watched it. Uh, there's just something about it for me that uh, I think maybe because you and I spend a lot of time in airplanes regularly, um, <laughs> we like the doors closed, we like the pressurization of the cabin, and and we like to know that that uh, when we get out of that, we're on firm, firm uh, ground. So um, I I totally understand that one, but uh, but agree with it as well.
1: <laughs> Those are good.
0: All right. Well, thank you uh, to, to those listening that uh, that continue to submit those quirky questions. Remember, Maggie with a Y at newviewtrust.com if you want to submit those, and we will get those uh, on the list for our next guests. Um, all right, Ryan, let's dig right back into it if uh, if that works for you. Sure. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit, right? We've been down memory lane, we've been talking a little bit about maybe some of the things that, that you've done, um, but let's talk a little bit about where we are today. And so um, you know, let's maybe start with what what is from a business standpoint, what's Elevation Capital Group doing today? You know, what 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 is kind of the the 30, 60, 90 What's hot and heavy in your world? And and then we'll maybe branch off from there.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. So there's the portfolio we, we own and operate, um, and we continue to kind of carry out the mission and the the business objectives of those properties, but on a Kind of on the acquisition front, we remain acquisitive. Um, we're still looking for deals. We have a property under contract in Florida right now, a storage facility um, that we're um, I, I think we'll acquire probably sometime in July. Um, so we're we're still kind of you know moving forward on the same acquisition pace. You know our goal is two to four assets a year, new acquisitions a year. So we're you know maybe we'll hit one in a year, maybe we'll hit six, but you know uh, you know two to four is a, a good range. Uh, but we're still looking at mobile home parks. We're still looking at storage. Um, you know, so there's nothing that has deterred us from those two asset classes. Um, you know, leverage has changed um, in terms of making deals pencil today with rates going up. But for us, we've always been pretty conservative uh, users of of debt at 50% loan to cost when we buy a property. So, not much has changed there. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of models that were based on you know, call it 80% financing, you know, a high leverage. Um, and a lot of those deals are now not happening because, you know, lenders are, are, you know, tapping out at maybe 65% where they would have gone to 80. So, so our model hasn't changed that much. We're still looking for the same thing. We're still looking in the same places and we're buying it under, under the same kind of criteria and conditions. Um, so anyway, but we're, we're still acquiring.
0: Good, and, and same types of assets uh from our earlier discussion let's talk a bit about credit you know you mentioned this this leverage and um you know in in the commercial real estate world which you know both of these asset classes fall under Mm -hmm. uh despite the fact that one of them does look more like residential in some capacity but they are considered commercial real estate uh and and they're the the purchase of a lot of these commercial real estate assets from a leverage standpoint is coming from uh you know 50 greater than 50 percent is coming from localized community banks uh, where the larger players, the the firms and banks everybody knows, maybe participate in this space, but not to the degree that community banks, um, which we're certainly seeing some fundamental shifts in that uh, as as the this uh, banking crisis continues to hopefully smooth itself out or uh, continue to fall out. Time will tell. Uh, talk to me a little bit, Ryan, about your what does that look like in your world? You know, you mentioned that you're using fifty percent leverage. Have you felt? Any of the credit crunch? Um, have you felt any sort of, of challenge uh, in acquisition or at least putting in offers to acquire uh, as it relates specifically to the credit side of things?
1: Not not really. I mean, that always is a factor in our underwriting is, is kind of the prevailing cost of capital. You know, so that goes in. So we might offer, we might make offers a little less today than we would have compared to a, a year or two ago. Um, but there's still a lot of liquidity in the market. So on the mobile home park side of the business, a lot of our financing comes from the agencies. Um, so Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, um, predominantly. And in fact, we just got a quote in the last week for a, a large portfolio of refinances at 5%. And it was 5% interest only for, you know, call it, off of off of memory, I think it was 5% interest only for five years, but 10 year fixed, fixed rate. Wow. Um, so, I mean, that's still a pretty competitive rate. I think, you know, single family, um, you know, loans today are in the 6.5% range. Mm-hmm. So we're still able to borrow at around five, um, you know, fixed for 10 years or so. Um, non-recourse, fully assumable. And, and the interesting comment that the, the lender made was, well, to your point, there's, you know, and to a degree, there's a declining number of lenders because lenders are under pressure. Either, you know, banks are going under and or, they're they're hoarding cash to shore up balance sheets. You know all of, all that we watch CNN and you'll get the update on that. You know, uh, or they'll tell you what they think. Um, but but on the flip side, there's also a declining volume. That's there, there's a very low volume of refinances and acquisitions coming through the system. So, you know, our our deal, um, you know, per um, per the lender is is getting really favorable terms because there's not a lot of volume. Um, you know, which is which is good. So we're we're still getting good rates on the on the mobile home park side through agency, and then on the self storage side, you know, you have um, kind of your host of balance sheet lenders, your local regionals. You have CMBS loans, which generally speaking, we've tried to steer clear of. Um, but you're still able to borrow today in the you know five five and a half percent range. Um, you know, it's it's still pretty compelling.
0: Good. Well, so rates haven't been. The impact uh, to to your business, like maybe they've been to others, um, but it also sounds like because you're the way that you're buying, there's less buyers squeezing in for these deals, which which helps. Uh, and it sounds like you're able to acquire some of these properties at slightly lower valuations uh, from a cap rate standpoint than maybe what you would have offered or paid uh, a year or two ago, even though the market in in the eyes of the average consumer felt better.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Cap, I mean, you're still, you know, on a high quality, well-located, you know, asset, you're still a push on interest rates to cap rates, you know, plus or minus a push. Um, But it's, it's still, still compelling. And what, and I'll make this comment, because it might be helpful to your listeners. What I, what I have noticed is, you know, there has been, or seems to be more, I, I would say, decompression on the cap rate side, or the cap rate has risen more on the lower quality assets. Um, and capital seems to be either drying up significantly and or the cost of capital going up significantly on lower quality, tertiary, secondary, um, on both mobile home parks and storage. So, um, you know, I, I, I think now more than ever, you wanna own quality. Um, and that has been our thesis, you know, dating back many, many years. Um, but what we noticed over the last five years is a lot of a lot of folks, in order to get yield, they went down the quality ladder and then they at the same time knowingly or unknowingly went up the leverage ladder and so they have low quality highly levered assets and and that's that's not that might not end well for all hopefully uh, hopefully it does
0: yeah i mean you bring up something that uh is you know a lot of of our listeners may may not necessarily follow the commercial real estate markets or kind of understand how they work and um, you know, because it's it is different. Uh, commercial is bought on income and and the value is derived off the income that that asset can generate, whereas residential uh, is bought off the value that the asset is worth. And so they're two completely different things. There's really no such thing as an appraisal uh, in in the same sense from residential to commercial. Um, they're they're working backwards. And, uh, you know, you said something I want to clarify or give you a chance to clarify, yeah. right? You mentioned cap rates compressing, which for a lot of people would think they go down, like interest rate compression means they actually go down and it's the opposite. Cap rate com- compression means cap rates go up. As cap rates go up, the value of the asset actually goes down. Um, can you, you know, just maybe give a quick primer on that uh, at a high level, so people can under- understand what compression really means. Uh, it's not well, favorable.
1: Yeah, and I might I might have even said compression. I meant to say decompression. If I didn't, meaning that the cap rates are going up, um, the multiples are coming down. So depending on what side, but yeah, as a as kind of a real quick primer on it, because um, this is also the business we're in, um, you know, if anybody asks me what I do for a living, I tell them I, I, I'm i in the business of finding $240, um, which always, you know, brings the follow on question, what's a $240? So um, at a 5% cap rate, if we're, if we buy a property, let's say we, you know, you know, myself and, and you, the, the, the listener, Um, we buy a property today, any uh, mobile home park or storage facility, and let's say we spend our time and we find a way to add $1 a month of net operating income to that property, which I think we'd all agree that in the next year we could probably work to accomplish. So if you have $1 a month, that's $12 a year of net, again, net operating income to find its value, the value of that dollar, $1 a month, 12 a year, you divide it by the capitalization rate, which for this assumption, let's say it's 5%, 5 cap. So if you divide $12 a year divided by 0.05%, 5% cap rate, you'll get $240. So every dollar I find on a monthly basis at a five cap is worth $240 in value creation. So we're in the business of finding $240. So there's a a much broader discussion here. But um, the two asset classes over the last 20 years that have produced the most consistent and the the most amount of $240 to a degree are storage and mobile home parks which is why we like those asset classes now to the point of cap rate let's take that same example of a dollar a month $12 a year divided by 0.1 that would be a 10% cap rate so the cap rate is going up from 5 to 10% um, which means the multiple is coming down. So if you take $12 a year of NOI divided by 0.1, which is 10%, you get $120. So if you, this is a a big stretch, but if you bought it a five and it's now worth 10, it's now valued at a 10% cap rate, you've lost half the value, um, so to speak. Not that things are necessarily doing that. But just as a, as an example, a five cap is a 20 multiple, a 10 cap is a 10 multiple.
0: Well, I, I love that. Um, I've heard that explained many times and never to that degree of simplicity. Um, and, and I appreciate you kind of sharing that. Um, so, you know, just keep note as, as you're exploring, whether you're looking to passively invest with, with someone, uh, whether you're looking to actively get on the investment side into commercial real estate, um, just remember, you know, adding value is critical, right? Um, as Ryan said, getting that extra dollar of income, uh, you know, per month, and whether it's a dollar, two, fifty, or a thousand, uh, obviously the the greater it is. But there's also environmental, um, you know, risk that you can, that you should be accounting for. And I think maybe not everybody in the marketplace in the last three years has anticipated, and that is cap rates going up and interest rates going up, which means. Debt service is going up, which means you know NOI is going down, which means if cap rates go up, you're kind of seeing this sandwich, uh, if you will, and and getting it at both ends. So uh, not here to suggest there's a you know that that commercial real estate uh, is going to blow up, but um, in every credit cycle, and we're certainly in one, whether it's considered a recession or not, uh, there's winners and losers, and understanding how that that capital either is deployed or has been deployed uh, is critical. Let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what we see going forward on the inflation side. Um, you know, we we just got some more results in where we're recording this uh, in May, uh, and so we've seen some new results. Right, we've seen the Fed has raised interest rates a quarter uh, a percent or twenty five basis points. What are you? Uh, and this is this is uh, just obviously opinion, Ryan, but but sure. your opinion from the, the seat you sit in. What are you thinking or what are you hearing or seeing in the marketplace as it relates to both uh, interest rates um, as well as it relates to have we cooled off inflation to a point where we can breathe e- easier uh, or is that still too early to tell, or no, we haven't, uh, we're gonna have to see more increases uh, on the interest rate side to get it under control. So uh, d- pick your poison.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good question and I'll probably answer a little a little differently and I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, you know, I I asked my so first I, I a lot of people, especially on social media, are playing, you know, or try to play, you know, economist, you know, and try to pr- make their predictions. And and at the end of the day, I can't tell you the most financially successful economist of all time. I don't know the person's name. <laughs>
0: Um, all these armchair economists is because they they no longer can be medical doctors (laughs) as they all were through the pandemic right they've they've all quickly shifted careers again
1: right right so i mean there's a lot of people who will give you their view and sometimes it's marketing in that they'll tell you what you want to hear in the hopes that you'll like them because they're telling you what you wanted to hear um but at the so to me the fundamental question is of anything you invest in is can it hedge inflation can Ultimately, can the business pass on whatever inflation is, whether it's higher or lower, can it spread it? Can it pass on an increase to the customer greater than the rate of inflation? And if it can't, then it's a really bad business. Um, and if it can, then it's a really good business. So to me, no matter what um, you know inflation does, I, I think that mobile home parks and storage facilities for various reasons and different reasons but similarly I think I will be able to pass inflation on to the customer and for what it's worth you know we're, we're we're doing it now like I think last year we had some properties that we we grew revenue more than 20% year over year on the same store basis so if inflation was you know 5% for 2022 the aggregate inflation which I don't think it was it's probably lower than that we're way in we're, at, we're you know we're way in the black so um so that that's to me the question is can we no matter what it does and it'll continue to do its thing, can we pass it on? I think we can, and if you can, then I think we'll be fine, um, no matter what it does
0: well that's that's a, an interesting perspective i I, uh, I love you talking about the armchair warriors and economists <laughs> and and they're all smart I, I think, in one of the previous uh, okay. um, uh, podcasts, uh, I was on the quirky questions uh, as it was a solo podcast. And one of them was uh, if you could have another career or so I, I make up a career. I said, you know, one of the things that I uh, really want to do if I got to come back and choose a new career, I want to be a financial analyst or some sort of <laughs> finance expert because it's the only profession where you can tell people what happened yesterday, call yourself an expert, but never actually tell me what's going to happen today or tomorrow. And when you do, get it right you consider yourself you know a whole nother set of of experts so uh, I'm not yeah. knocking experts or no um, no the finance side but uh, I think you get where I'm going with
1: that yeah well and to to the point of our earlier discussion it, and you're you're right I would say analyst and weatherman you know are similar <laughs> uh, but the uh but to the point of our early discussion you know that dot that that two hundred and forty dollar you know if inflation does continue to stay at you know two, three, four, five percent on a sustained basis, and I can pass on to the customer that cost. So th- in that case, from a different point of view, there's a lot of new dollars being created by market, by, by inflation. You know, I, I'm getting a lot a lot of new $240. Now there's a point where, you know, if inflation goes to 10, 15, 20%, it's it's harmful to a lot of people too so but i but you know three to five percent is also to a degree helpful as long as we can pass it on
0: yeah inflation's never going to go away i think you know what we don't want is inflation that's that's shooting off like a rocket and um i don't envy the fed's position um although uh i i do believe the fed creates their own monsters so uh you know it's it's kind of hard to to have it both ways but um, but, yeah, I mean, trying to combat inflation that's just taking off is is incredibly hard. And um, I'll give such a free pass for covid because covid really created a lot of supply side, um, you know, issues and challenges from a manufacturing and all of the things that go into it. So uh, certainly not not meant to be an economics discussion, but um, we're in a very interesting time. And if you think about it uh, and, and I'll I'll turn this Ryan back maybe to to kind of close this section out. But if you think about it, in the last five years, right, which is not a long time period in cycles, right? I mean, the Great Recession lasted nearly five years, one of the longest in, in history. So five years feels like forever, right? Doesn't, uh, doesn't feel um, that long in the reality. We have been through COVID, that pandemic, and one of the highest levels of inflation and largest run on interest rates, uh that we've ever seen all within a five-year window with all of that are you surprised or or not surprised by where the markets are being held up today on the commercial real estate side
1: I mean I I'm not I'm surprised and not surprised uh, meaning you know again not trying to you know I don't look ahead and try to play economist I try to buy good assets well located use low leverage. The reason we use low leverage is all the variables that cannot be predicted. You know, we 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 don't know what they're going to be, but we know they're coming. So we want a large margin of safety and low debt so that you you don't have you're not a forced seller when it makes no time. But you don't want to be a forced seller at the worst time. Um, And typically leverage and having too much debt is the reason that happens. Um, So, you know, but but to, to your point, the reason we use leverage the way we do is a preponderance and an acknowledgement that there are variables lurking around every corner that we don't know. And so Absolutely. it gives us an offensive stance and that we own something, we put our stake in the ground. But as soon as we do that, we get defensive and, you know, and kind of how we position the balance sheet so that we can weather storms. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, again, the last five years when people were all in guns blazing, buying this, that, 90% leverage, you know, we were by comparison, you know, people would ask us, well, why aren't you doing those things? And, you know, now we don't have to answer those questions anymore, which is, you know, which is good. And so there's times you're popular, there's times you're not. And that's, that's part of it.
0: Yeah. Investment cycles will continue to come and go. Uh, sure. That is, that is something that, that uh, years ago, I, uh, there was a, a guy that we were in a shared office space really early on when I started. Uh, and he said, remember one thing about investing. And he said, it's like standing around with your friends, blowing bubble gum, you know, bubbles. There's one thing. If you went all the way around the circle, no matter how many kids you put in the circle, that would be the only thing that would be certain, you know, and you're like, what is it? And he's like, the bubbles will pop. (laughs) And he said, some. They pop really hard. Some the air just lets out and they slowly deflate. Some never get too big, so you never really notice. But every bubble, um, whatever that is, and and I think in all asset classes, um, you know, we tend to think of bubbles bursting like 2007. But sometimes there's smaller bubbles and they can just pop, and they don't have mm-hmm. to burst. Um, there doesn't have to be a big blast radius. And and Agreed. I think anybody in today's market would be naive to suggest that there aren't some bubbles out there in different pockets or classes, whether it's on the interest or credit side, or whether it's on, uh, you know, the underwriting side or whether it's on the cap rate side that, that have to, uh, in some way, shape or form slowly, um, pop burst, uh, slowly let that air. So we'll yeah. have to see how that plays out.
1: I agree. I, I agree. And I think, but on the, on the kind of the, the, the flip side of that, or, or set in a, um, Kind of a different way. There's, there's, there's still going to be a lot of opportunity. I think yeah. asset classes. There's certain asset classes that'll do well. I think um, there's certain geographic locations, like Florida, for example. Um, I think Florida will do quite well no matter what happens nationally. I think Florida and other states will do better than others. Um, certain sponsors and operators will. But I, I think, I think investors now they kind of have to go back to. Um, being discerning and, and, you know, really, really understanding what they want to your point, which I thought was great, identifying what it is you're looking for and then finding, you know, asset classes, geographic locations and sponsors that align with those. Um, you know, whereas I think the last five years you could just, you know, back to the monkey in 2001, throwing darts at a, at a newspaper and beating, you know, the S&P 500, you know, the last five years have been pretty easy, but I think going forward, you have to be more intentional. Yeah. that's a good
0: thing. And there will be winners and there will be losers uh, sure. like every good cycle. So, well, well, I appreciate that dialogue, you know, Ryan, you have so much to to offer um, in being in this space for for so long and and really being true to your convictions and in, in terms of how you invest and in your investment philosophy. So, uh, I appreciate you sharing um we're going to quickly turn, uh, into our lightning round. I've got a couple of questions lined up for you. These are not meant to be quirky. These are meant to be more deliberate, uh, but it is to get your hot take, right? How do you feel about X or Y? Uh, and so I'll, I'll put you on the hot seat uh, and we'll, we'll dig in. I've got two professional, one personal. So, uh, just a, a heads up. You're being forewarned there. Um, question number one on the hot seat, uh, and and for for context, rates currently uh, we just had the increase in May, right? So um, from a hot seat standpoint, question one: Are rates going up, staying the same, or going down in June? I think best guess they'll pause probably in June. Okay. And and just for context, any anything to add on that, uh, or just just guessing one of the three because it's multiple choice and you got to yeah. pick one.
1: How <laughs> oh, I got through high school. Um no i'm I'm teasing the uh, I think um, just reading the body Jay Powell's body language um, from the last um, you know kind of um, fed meeting and the the conference after I think he's nervous about um, the fallout of the banking crisis and what it might do to um, to harm growth so I, I think in and that's not a variable he necessarily can control so I think he's he's I think he's cautiously watching and waiting to see and I I think that'll give him a somewhat of an uncertain stance is my guess, but who knows?
0: I think it's a fair take. I I think pausing rates for a variety of reasons, and I couldn't agree more with, with, with exactly what you said. um, It's the easiest way to give yourself another 30 days or 45 days to kind of assess. And you can always raise them again. Um, You can lower them. You can raise them higher, Um, you know, but, uh, but Yeah. I, I uh, it'll be interesting to see. We're all, uh, I think everybody's kind of watching, wondering. Um, question number two uh, we'll, we'll keep you on the hot seat here. If sure. you could not invest into mobile home communities or self storage, what would be the asset class that you would invest to or
1: asset classes you would invest to? You know, it's a good question. Um, I would, I've always said I would do multifamily because um, there's, and I'll give the, the data point for why. Um, your, your viewers um, can go to NarreITcom N-A-R-E-I-T, and you can pull up a list of, uh, of NOI growth by asset class over time for the entire industry, um, as if it was one property on a same store basis. So what they'll find is the best performing um, asset classes for NOI growth, again, that $240 dollar that we're looking for, is self-storage, mobile home parks, and then A very distant third is multifamily. So if you were to just following that same thought process, I'd go to multifamily.
0: So same investment thesis, you're just working your way down to the next asset class on the list, following those four core principles that you're after.
1: Yes. Yeah, I think multifamily would be the next um, beyond making investments into private companies with, you know, people that I know, like and trust, which we, we do from time to time.
0: Wonderful. All right, question number three, and we'll get you off the hot seat. Sure. Um, and this one is—it's business, but but a smidge personal. You do not have to name names, nor are we looking <laughs> for any definitive answers. But you've got four kids over or under uh, at two on whether or not there will be more kids joining the family business or less kids uh, joining the family business. And your kids are all still fairly young, so uh, you know it's probably a little shot in the dark. But
1: uh, but there
0: you go. There's your last hot seat question.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good question. I don't. Uh, we we actually have thought a lot about um, kind of estate planning, inheritance, and what, if anything, we're going to leave the kids. And and for reasons that may be, uh, when you hear that, say, man, what a, you know, what a not a nice dad. You know, it's we actually you know love our kids and, and don't want to harm them. Um, so anyway, I, it's it's a good question. It's something we've chewed on quite a bit. Um, I don't know whether or not any of them will, will join us in the business. Um, so far they've showed each of them, or at least the older two, the 10 and the eight year old have shown a lot of, um, business savvy. Um, we have a 3d printer at home. Um, they, they 3d print things that they sell at school. So my daughter last week made $40. selling things and she has to pay me for my time and she has to pay me for the filament. And so she has a a whole cost of goods spreadsheet and she's 10 and she's, you know, so I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what they do. I I want, I want each one of them to pick their own path. um, And if they pick to come join us at some point, the the bar, the standard will likely be higher for them. Um, And, you know, but we'll see. It'll be fun. Well,
0: I I appreciate you getting a little on the personal side there. It's always, uh, it's always an interesting question, and, and I, I think you and Jamie have done such an amazing job of, of building a business inside the family, uh, and I love your perspective on you know it's not four for four, and, and that's probably not even close to the goal. Um, it's, it's sure if people want in, great, um, but but letting those kids blaze their trail, and, and if yeah. it follows in, in the family footsteps, um, and they're willing to put in the work and effort, uh, it sounds like there may be some opportunity, but uh, certainly the world is their oyster in it. 8, eight, six, and four, um, which is easy to know. All your kids' age, by the way. Um, uh, it uh, they've got a lot of life ahead of them. Uh, ironically enough, you're talking about your your um, you know daughter selling stuff at school. I I just discovered uh, my son doesn't even know it yet, uh, but I just discovered my son's been hustling uh, some of our household uh, you know treat and drink items at school, and uh, I I'm on the fence about whether or not. Uh, it's something that I want to talk to him about, or or whether or not it's yeah. something that uh, you know I need him to cut me in on and really let him kind of understand how business works. But yeah. um, we haven't crossed that bridge yet. But uh, I I was at least excited about the entrepreneurial spirit to it. Oh
1: man, I I, I Jamie and I've always said we want to pull our kids back. We don't want to have to push them out to get them going. So I'm I'm I every day of the week I'd rather have the conversation of you went too far or too fat. You know I'd rather pull back than push out. So. Um, I, I, you know, anyway, that's, that's great.
0: Yeah. Um, Great, great advice. Well, let's bring this, uh, this podcast to a close. First of all, thank you, uh, for taking the time to join us. Um, I, I know you have so much going on in your business and your life, so I appreciate the fact that you're willing to come here and help our listeners understand a lot more about how to be. And I think the the area that you really, for me hit on is discipline, right? Focus. Um, you don't have to, to learn a hundred new things, just learn how to do one or two, three, two things better over a 20 year period. And I think you and, and Jamie are prime examples of that. So thank you so much for, uh, for being here.
1: Yeah, you bet. Thanks again for the opportunity. Always great seeing you.
0: Cool. I've got one more, just one last thing before we go, we end every one of our, our, uh, podcasts with the learn before you burn. Uh, I I've shared this in the past for our new listeners. This is kind of the, how do you learn how to not touch the stove? Without actually touching the stove, so uh, one of the things that that twenty plus years in any business or industry does give you, uh, it gives you some scars and some more wounds and and. Uh, Ryan, as successful as you and Jamie uh, have been in your endeavors, there's no doubt along the way uh, there's been some trials and tribulations. So, um, you know, what is the, if you can give our listeners that learn before you burn uh, idea and, and something where you can give them your lesson and experience in hopes that they take the lesson without having to go through the same experience. So, uh, we'll, we'll bring it to a close with the learn before you burn.
1: Sure. I'll give uh, two that come to mind, uh, really quickly. Um, and one is, you know, to seek simplicity, um, and it, you know, not, not to make things abundantly complex. So try to, at the end of the day, if, if what you're doing is not simple and it's comp- if you don't understand the simple component parts, then you don't understand it yet. So try to seek to make things simple, not complex, uh, in business and in life. And then I would say the other one's the obvious one, but you know, really avoid working with or partnering or, associating with toxic people, you know, you, you really want, you know, um, people that are energetic, they're a joy to be around, they you know, have integrity, character, um, you know, some kind of moral compass. So, I mean, that's, you know, um, life's much better when you're working with great people. Um, you know, you can parabolically complicate life by not having great people, um, you know, associated with yourself. So I would, I would say people and people in process, you know, well, that's certainly good uh,
0: good good wisdom there and and uh, something that everybody should be taking to heart. Uh, there's a lot of experience that's been tied through that uh, and certainly some lesson uh, that we can all learn uh, in, in our own lives personally and professionally. So uh, Ryan,
1: thank you for that. Any last parting words on your end? No, I appreciate um, what you guys do at Newview and you know I, I look forward to doing this in the future and hopefully meeting people in the future at, at some of your events, I know that you'll be hosting.
0: Awesome, well, Ryan, thank you so much for being here. We'll look forward to, uh, certainly we'll, we'll go, uh, we'll do this quicker than another 15 years uh, uh, at that point, um, but uh, but really appreciate you being here, appreciate your time and, and energy and, yeah. and uh, value that you added to the audience. Uh, for those listening, if, uh, if you haven't uh, hit the like, share or subscribe button, please certainly do that. Uh, if you haven't given us a rating, we'd love your feedback. Uh, and know how we're doing and performing our goal is to continue to bring in top-notch experts and continue to deliver uh, great information on how to uh, invest into alternative assets both efficiently and effectively and from a tax saving standpoint so uh, we'll continue to drive that home thank you so much for being on the all about alts uh, podcast ryan good to see you again uh, and yeah. thank you everybody else we'll uh, we'll see you guys next week Thank you so much for listening. We hope the information within this podcast has given you the tools that you need to find your way to financial independence. We would love to partner with you on this journey. Text ALTS, that's A-L-T-S, to 407-708-1853 to learn more about how to get started today. Don't forget to follow us to make sure you don't miss a second of content and we'll see you next week.